Everybody has trials and temptations. Everybody knows heartbreak and isolation. Everybody's got worries. Everybody knows sorrow and devastation. I'm on now. Good morning and welcome. Man, how many of you just love the fact that if we do look around, we can truly see grace on every horizon like the lyrics of that song has, that God's grace is all around us. And as we immerse ourselves in the, the love of God and we enjoy His grace, we are just motivated to break forth in praise and worship. And so we are glad that we could gather today for this opportunity to worship. I have to tell you something funny. I, I always check in on the live stream to make sure that we're on, and I pulled it up, and I looked, and I was like, oh, my goodness. There is a balding, gray-haired man sitting on the third row, and he's, you know, and I was like, but there's not. There's not. There's two ladies on the third row, and then I looked down, and it was from September the 10th of 
um, 2022 of the video that I pulled up. So anyway, um, so last year there was a, a man sitting on the third row, um, but this time there's not. And um, But I say that to say, I'm glad you're here sitting where you're at because you were here for a purpose. And I truly believe God has um, a purpose for you as a family of God. And so we are grateful that you could join us here for worship. If you are visiting, um, we are um, glad you're here. And we hope you feel welcome and hope you enjoy the service. And I just want to point out one more thing before we continue in worship is we always include a little connect card in the bulletin. And I hope you grabbed one. If there's prayer um, needs that you want to share with us, please share those. And um, just let us know if we can email them out or not, or you want us to keep in the office. Or if you just want to get some information, ask a question, update. Um, if you want to know, hey, how can I get prayer emails, you can write that on there. In just a few moments um, during our service, we'll pass around the offering plate, and you can just place that on the inside. But I do want to welcome you in the name of the Lord. I'm thankful that um, you're here, and I trust that God has something wonderful intended for each and every one of us. So I just invite you to, to stand and join together as we continue singing praises to God this morning. Would you stand and sing with us this morning? You called me from the grave by name. See the old is passed away. The
for us to read from God's Word together this morning. So if you have your Bible, you want to turn over to 1 Peter chapter 2. We'll read the first 10 verses there together before our deacons come and pray and we receive our tithes and offerings as we offer them up to the Lord. 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 1 says, So put away all malice and deceit and hypocrisy, and envy, and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted the Lord is good. As you have come to Him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, 
and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a rock of stumbling, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Men, will you come as we receive our offering? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the privilege to come today in worship to offer you all honor, praise, and glory, Lord. Lord, thank you for your many blessings. Open our hearts to your love, to your peace, to your will, Lord as we return a portion of your blessings. Lord, grow them, bless them. In this we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.
Praise the Lord. He indeed is faithful. You know, we've been looking at, for the last several weeks, the idea of we are the church. And we've looked at some different themes and we've had different members of our church family share testimonies from their own words. And we're going to continue that this morning. And the theme is, for the the folks that are going to share, is what does it mean for you to be part of a church family? And so um, I asked um, the Stanleys to, to share and so they are going to come, and you're going to go first, and then after that, um, Florence is going to, to share. And so, John and Cindy, why don't you all come on up and just take the microphone and fire when ready. Short and sweet. No rabbit trails. I like rabbit trails. What does it mean to belong to this church? Well, most of you that know me know I'm not the most easy guy to get along with. But this church, this church means everything to me. You are family. Try not to get all broken up here. When we first joined, we knew Jimmy and Brenda Richardson. We've known them for years. And I knew as soon as we joined that this would be our church. We would become part of this family. And uh, as far as I'm concerned, we will support this family in whatever means we can and by whatever you need. That's, that's our promise. You did good. When I think about what does it mean to be a part of a church family. I think about our journey through life, which has been a few years. Um, Wherever we went, uh, we aligned ourselves with a church, and we've been through um, several church families. But my mind was drawn to one of the, when we moved from Texas to Virginia, which was a a big move for us. It was away from our biological family. And we moved to Virginia near D.C., um, really a different environment than I had grown up in. And we were blessed with a church. Let me just tell you what the Lord did. We went to a church, and the pastor was the son of one of my Sunday school teachers. Who would have thought that? And we were able to align with them and become a part of that church and develop some relationships. And some of those have lasted through the years. In fact, this summer we were able to go to Pennsylvania and visit a couple that we had met in that church, and they became very dear friends to us. From there we went to another church, And um, I was reminded of a book that was written a long time ago. It had to do with passages and stages in life. And uh, there were people in that church that became very close to us, several different couples. And I did not realize how close they were going to be. Um, During the time we were there, we went through a very deep, deep valley in our marriage, in our relationship. And those people in that church were very, very special to us as they offered encouragement 
to us with what we needed at that time. And, you know, I had relationships in all the schools that I worked in, and they would offer to a certain level, but there was a gap. They couldn't offer what my church family offered to me when you're down in those valleys. And so they continued to be very special people. Then the we came to another location, and it was several years later. There was another valley, and we decided that we could do it on our own. So we removed ourselves from church for about a year. And you know what? It didn't work. And we found that we couldn't do that. We needed the encouragement. We needed that regular being with believers. You get strength from that. And hopefully you have something to give them too. But we realigned with the church and then we made the decision to come back to Texas. And we've been blessed and honored to be a part of Cross Timber to host um, a family group for a life group for several years. And Cross Timber, we're honored to be a part of your church, and we're so thankful that we're here. When I was asked to speak on this question, um, it drew me back to whenever my car broke down, literally, like, in that park, in that parkway over there. Um, it was a lot to deal with, not just my car breaking down, but I was going through, like, a change in life. And you know how it, changes could be, like, it's hard to adapt to them. So I was going through that, and then, like, my car just broke down on me, like, literally in the park lot. I didn't know how to deal with it, but y'all support and encouragement like really helped me and it's like y'all weren't obligated to text me check up on me or even or even help with the cost but y'all did so and that just really drew me back to like loving your neighbor as you love yourself and like seeing it being done for myself just um encouraged me to like do that for my neighbors around me you know so I think y'all appreciate those that insight, and it's always good to hear from from members of the family about the family, and we are grateful um, to be a part of a family here at Cross Timber. And so, as we continue on this morning with "We Are the Church Today," who is my family? Is the question we're going to explore, and we'll find ourselves in Ephesians chapter two. We looked at verses one through ten last week. We're going to follow up with verses eleven through. 22 today as we turn to God's word but I just want to give you a recap last week we talked about purpose who what is my purpose and that God made each one of us on purpose for a purpose and then he redeems us through his son Jesus so that we can realize the full potential of his purpose for us that we can find meaning and purpose and value in life only in the person of Jesus and we can live a life that the Bible describes as abundant and we would describe as exciting, fulfilling, and satisfying. 
And God doesn't stop there. He redeems us, but he also gives us the power of his Holy Spirit in us so that we can live lives of purpose, on purpose, for his glory. And so today, just continuing in that idea, you know, while we're living on purpose, God places us in his own family on purpose. Now, some people call it a church. Others call it a fellowship. Maybe even they would say it's a body of believers. We would call it family. And as Cindy touched on, it's unlike any organization, anything in the world. Because it's not really an organization. It's not a club. It's a living organism. It's a family that you're born into. Where God is the Father. Jesus is our older brother. We are God's children, sons and daughters and brothers and sisters in Christ. And what I want us to get our minds around this morning, if we can, just in part, because it really is such a a wonderful truth to look at, is that in Christ, God reconciles individuals to himself and other Christians to include them in his family. God is in the reconciling business, and he reconciles individual men and women, boys and girls, to himself to include them in his family. And this family is established through being connected to Christ. It's recognized in the world by the connections we have with other believers. It's maintained by the commitment we have to Christ and the commitment we make to one another. It's motivated by the love and compassion of Jesus that we are to share with others. It works best when we choose to cooperate with one another. And as we saw in both of those testimonies, it provides care for all, even those that are near and those that are far. Now we like to say, maybe I do, maybe y'all don't, we get to go to church. We go to church. Or we say, this building is the Lord's house. Or we invite somebody and we say, why don't you come to church with me? And they'll say, well, where's your church located? We say, hey, we're up there. You know, we're about two miles from the Premier Movie Theater. Where's Premier? Well, you know where H-E-B is? Everybody in North Texas knows where H-E-B is. We're about two miles down 731 from H-E-B. Why don't you come to church with me? But the truth is, if we're very honest with ourselves, we are the church. In fact, say that. Say, we are the church. Yeah, we're God's family that's placed here at Cross Timber. And just like any home, the Father sets the tone for the house. He makes the rules. He decides who's in the house, who's not in the house. And God, through His holiness, His love and grace and mercy, shapes everything that goes on inside the house, the people of God. And so as we turn to God's Word this morning, we're going to begin reading in verse 11 of chapter 2. We had that great but God moment last week. God being rich in mercy brought us from death to life. This week we're going to have a but now moment that we'll look at shortly. But look at verse 11. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenant of promise. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. 
For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in the place of the two, so making peace. And might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we praise you for the truth of your word. We thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for the fact that even still today you are building your church and lord i thank you for these testimonies i thank you for the words of john and cindy and florence that speak of the value of being in a church family and lord as we turn our minds and our thoughts and our hearts toward your word you would help us to see the truth on these pages how that we were brought from far away to near to be placed in a family to love one another to love you and to bring glory to your name. So God, help us, teach us, and we trust you'll do it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So verses 1 through 11, in short, what you were before you met Jesus, what God did for you in Jesus, and why he did it. He created us, he redeemed us, and his purpose was that believers would be his grace on display. To the world around. And the rest of the chapter begins with another, remember what you were. There's that word, it comes up over and over again in the Bible. Remember, remember. Israel was continually called to remember, to look back. Remember and learn. Remember and not forget. And here we have a reminder that they are to remember that they were once apart from God. And not part of His people. Ephesians is written to Gentile believers, non-Jewish believers. And that God made peace by the blood of His cross. And that through Him we can have peace with God, peace inside our lives, and peace with others. And through what Jesus did, we can be a part of God's family. And that comes with all the rights and privileges of being a son or a daughter. As well as the responsibility that we have to God and to other people. But it also comes with all the help we need by the Holy Spirit. So we are the church. We were once on the outside, but now we've been brought near in Christ, and we've been included into God's household. Now, if you see the first two verses there, verses 11 and 12, it really paints the picture of these Ephesian Christians, these Gentiles, before they were saved. They were apart from Christ. Honestly, it really is just a, a depiction of anyone who is away from Jesus. Perhaps that's even someone you know or even yourself right now. And his reminder to the Ephesians is this. 
This is who you were, past tense, but God brought you out into something totally different and welcomed you into His family, a forever family. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever found yourself on the outside looking in? Maybe you find out everybody was invited, but you... Or a group of people are laughing about a joke, but you aren't included. And sometimes it just feels like a wall between you and everyone else. Maybe you feel like you're invisible and don't matter. Maybe you feel like there's some kind of force field around you and nobody else can get to you. And as Paul writes to these Ephesian Christians, they find themselves, before they met Jesus, on the outside. Two key words you see in these verses. They were separated and alienated. You see, they were Gentiles. They were born non-Jews, and that meant that they were despised by the Jews. Jewish people looked on anyone that was not Jewish as a dog, they would call them. They were unclean and worthless. They used a derogatory term, uncircumcision, to denote the fact that they weren't privileged and circumcised like those that were children of Abraham. But as Paul often does, very sarcastically, he says, you're called uncircumcision by the circumcision, which was a source of pride of the Jews, but Paul points out that it was merely an external sign. It was done by human hands, and that the real circumcision, if you look in Romans 2, is a circumcision or a change of the heart. And so they were taking pride in their external sign of their covenant with God and looking down on these Gentiles. And you see verse 12, remember that you were at one at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. If we didn't have the following verses, let's be honest, that's a very depressing set of characteristics. But he says, remember. In fact, it's the only imperative, the only command in these verses is to remember. Remember, you were separated. What's he saying? You had no relationship with Christ. No knowledge of saving faith in Christ. And while Christians are depicted in the Bible as being in Christ, everyone else is apart from Him or separated. So they're separated from Christ. Separated by sin. Separated by self. But yet just on the verge of being drawn near to Him by God's grace through faith. But then he says alienated. picture gets a little darker. Excluded from God's people. They weren't a part of God's family. They had none of the rights of the children of God. And this was physically pictured by the construction of the temple. If you were to have traveled back to Solomon's temple in that day, you would find that you know, very in the very center was the Holy of Holies, and there were different courtyards and different walls surrounding it to the very outer courtyard was called the Court of the Gentiles. It was as close as anybody who was not a Jew could get to the temple. And on the edge of that courtyard was a very thick wall with warning signs that basically said, no trespassing, the penalty is death. No one who was a Jew was beyond, able to step beyond that dividing wall and into the subsequent inner courts of the temple. 
And those Gentiles could stand on the outer court. They could stand outside the temple. They could look inside. They could see what they could see over the wall, but they weren't allowed to enter. They knew about God's people, but they weren't a part of God's people. And so he goes on, he says, they're strangers to the covenant. God gave those covenant promises to Abraham and to David. He spoke to the prophets about a coming promised Messiah. He spoke to Ezekiel and talked about the new covenant that would bring new life. That there would be a Messiah, there would be a pouring out of the Holy Spirit. And these messages didn't initially go to the Gentiles. In fact, they had experienced none of the benefits of those promises. But however, if you go all the way back to Father Abraham... What does God say to Abraham? I'm going to make you a blessing. The father of many nations, not just the father of a nation. And so with this series of attributes, they find themselves, as Paul depicts, as without hope and without God. About as low as I think you can get. Without hope, without God. Now, it's not saying that they were atheists. It's simply saying that they were ignorant of God or chose not to believe in God. They didn't have a personal relationship with Him. They, were find, they found themselves in a tragically hopeless state. It reminds us of this, that without Jesus there is no hope. We say that often, but the wonderful truth is that in Jesus there's always hope. Because He's the one, the Bible says, is a living And so he goes through this series of reminders about what they were. But then he continues on with a reminder of what God did through his son, Jesus. Remember verses 1 through 4, we looked at them last week. This is the description. You were dead, you were disobedient, you're children of wrath. But God made you alive in Christ. He made you a unique masterpiece. And you're now trophies of his grace. Well, the other but God is a but now, and it's in verse 13. I was on the outside looking in, but now I've been brought near in Christ. It's the second thing you see there. Key word in this section is the word reconciled. Look at verse 13. Now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Once far off, now brought near. In the person of Jesus, God himself closed the distance between man and himself. He did what was impossible for men to do, and that was to bring or to reconcile them back to himself. It reminds me of the story of the prodigal. While he was a long way off, you remember that? What happened? The father ran out to meet him. And while we are a long way off from God, in his love, the father runs toward us. That Jesus, the one who the Bible says is the just, died for you and I who the Bible says are unjust to bring us to God. One writer named Thompson said it this way, Jesus is the meeting point of all mankind. The Message Bible, Eugene Peterson, who often says things so wonderfully and simply says, now because of Christ dying that death and shedding that blood, You who once were out of it all together are in on everything. So you go from out to in, from 
far off to near through the person of Jesus who Paul says is our peace. He Himself is our peace. Jesus, who is identified by Isaiah as the Prince of Peace, who Colossians 1 verse 20 tells us made peace by the blood of His cross, is the one who brings peace with God and can enable us to have peace with others. So He Himself is our peace, who has made us both one. So you begin to see that there's this joining together, Jew and Gentile, there's peace between them, the end of enmity, and they're united into a totally different new body. They're not Jewish, they're not Gentile, they're Christians. They're God's people. They're followers of Jesus. And he goes a step beyond and he removes the hostility and brings what we see as unity and harmony. Have you seen that? that Those people that are the most vile and spit out the most awful things toward the church when they are saved and they're reconciled to God, they become the greatest proponents of the faith. That that strength of voice and power of language is turned and God uses it. That the hostility is turned to harmony. But then it goes on and says God breaks down that barrier, that dividing wall that initially separates God from man as well as Jew and Gentile. Because he goes on and says this dividing wall is broken. Now I wasn't alive in 1961. Missed it by about 10 years. But in the midst of the Cold War, in the aftermath of World War II and the rise and fall of Nazi Germany. East and West Berlin were established. And a wall was built in 1961. And for about 28 years, it was the boundary line between democracy and communism. Between freedom and oppression. It separated German from German. And famously, on June 12, 1987, Ronald Reagan spoke to then-President Gorbachev of Russia and said, Mr. Gorbachev, open this gate. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. It wasn't Mr. Reagan and it wasn't Mr. Gorbachev, but it was the, the German people themselves that would later call for the fall of the wall in November of 1989. And in October of 1990, Germany was reunited and the wall was taken down. As monumental as that is in the history of the world, Jesus broke down in His flesh the dividing wall of hostility. He tore down the wall that stood between us and God, between Jew and Gentile, by the power of His blood. And at that point, peace was purchased and new life was provided. So the wall is torn down, and because of that, unity is possible. What seemed impossible is now possible. Look at the phrases in verses 14, 15, 16, and 18. Made the two one. What's that? That's unity, bringing together. Verse 15, created in Himself one new man in place of the two no longer Jew and Gentile, but now in Christ. Verse 16, one body. And verse 18, in one spirit. All of those things speak to unity that God brings those from far off to near and He connects them.
I'm not going to slide. This man just has a funny name, but evidently he's a good scholar. His name is Klein Snodgrass. And we laugh, but he has a PhD and I don't. So his, But listen to what he says. Grace not only connects us to God, it connects us to each other. We talk a lot about grace. We see how God's grace is at work. We've started Embrace Grace ministry, but that connection after the dividing wall is torn down is made through God's grace, both between him and between us and others. And so we continue on. The wall is torn down. Unity is possible. And reconciliation is realized. Jesus came to seek and save that which was lost. Jesus came to mend what was broken. Jesus came to right what was wrong. And Jesus came to reconcile God to men. All through the Bible, if you see reconciliation. It's always God who takes the first step forward. It's He who does the reconciling. He always initiates. And you read about men and women being reconciled to God through the person of Jesus. It's His work. He does the restoration. He does the bridge building. And even when we're hostile toward Him, even when we're far away, He still extends His grace and mercy and offers reconciliation. That we can be children of God in Christ. That the two can be united together. There can be peace. And this reconciliation, once we're reconciled to God, comes with a responsibility. Paul tells the Corinthians that we have been given the ministry of reconciliation. We'll come to look at that next week. And the result of this reconciliation also comes with access. He says access is available. The word here for access means to to gain an audience with the king. So think about Esther. When we looked at the story of Esther, and Esther is going before King Ahasuerus, and what happens? The king can either not extend his scepter or extend it, and depending on that, she either lives or dies. But we find out because it's it's a wonderful story, and it has a happy ending that God works in Ahasuerus' heart, and he does what? He extends the scepter. Esther gets favor. It's the same idea here. It's the idea that we have gained entrance to the throne room of heaven based completely on a relationship that we have, not on who we are. That because we are united to Christ, that we can draw near to the throne of grace that we may find Mercy and grace in time of need, as Hebrews says, chapter 4, verse 16. And with that access, we have the privilege of God's presence. Oh, God, that we would take better advantage of what you have given us, that we have the privilege of your presence, both individually as we spend our own time with God, both corporately as we gather together as a group. We can commune with God. Lord, help us not waste time. Help us to spend quality time with you. So we've seen this past condition. We've seen that we were separated. We've seen that God offered a solution to reconcile or to bring together. And then in the last few verses, in verses 19 through 22, we have a picture of what it means to be God's gathered people. That Jew and Gentile, men and women from every corner of the earth from far are brought near 
that God is establishing His very own people that exist for His glory, brought into a part of the church that Jesus is building, and you see that we are included in Christ. Included together in Christ. And the key word there is God's household. So Paul spent you know, several verses in very great detail to explain to us how far God went to bring us near. Now he wants to share with us the glorious result that happened because Jesus gained the victory at the cross and through his resurrection. And the first thing you see there is while we were once strangers, we are now citizen saints. Look at verse 19, the first part. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with saints. A stranger and alien would visit a place for a certain amount of time. They were to be offered hospitality and taken care of, but they had no privileges. They had no rights. But now you are fellow citizens with the saints. Citizens with the saints. What does that that mean? It means that we are in God's kingdom. We are citizens of the kingdom, citizens of heaven, as the Bible speaks about. That kingdom that is the place where God's rule is perfectly in place through the king he has established, who is Jesus. And it's a place where people live under his rule and under his authority. It's not a geographical territory that we go to. But actually, as Jesus said, the kingdom is within us. It's growing and it's flourishing. And one day Jesus is going to come back and we're going to see his kingdom in full glory as his kingdom is established here on earth fully and finally. But in that kingdom, we are his citizens, his subjects or the citizens of that kingdom. And there are no There's a no discrimination clause in that kingdom. Galatians 3.28 There's neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. The lines of distinction, the lines that are barriers that would bring about division are erased in Christ. To be citizens of better place of a kingdom but it just gets better citizenship's okay but what about the fact that we are children of god the second part of verse 19 shows us that we are part of his family so you see the and there and members of the household of god that word household is oikodomeo which is just a a compound word which means a building for a family (laughs) we think of it as a home but it goes beyond that It's not just a building with walls, but it's everything that happens within those walls. It's the people that live in that facility. It's the one who rules over it. And that through a relationship with Jesus, we who were far away are brought near and adopted into his family. And that adoption is available to both Jew and Gentile, slave or free, male or female, all who will call in the name of Jesus. And it's more than a house. It's a place where we go to belong. We were given a a little needlepoint by my grandmother framed, and it had this little phrase, and maybe you've had it in your home, or maybe you're familiar with it. 
A house is built of brick and stone. A home is made of love alone. That God has established us in a household. It's a place where you belong. It's a place for you. It's a place for me. It's a place all for everyone who would come and call in the name of Jesus. And in that household, we can enjoy togetherness. That you're no longer alienated. You're now together. You're not an individual. You're now part of a family. And in that family, you are included. You're not excluded. That's why you're all, every one of us is important. It's, you know, in Paul's description of the body, he talks about the, the stronger members and the weaker members. He talks about, you know, the hands and the feet all and the ears. You know, all those things are important. We are all included. We are all important. But we're also all accepted. John just makes this most honest comment that we should all probably have on the front of our lips. You know, I know I'm not the easiest person to get along with. Every one of us could say that. No. We're, we're all different. We all have good days. We all have bad days. And a family, you know what a family does? A family loves us even on our worst days. Because they see our best. They accept us. And when you find that togetherness, you find that fact that you are included and you are accepted and you know that you are loved, then the ground of your heart, the ground of a church is, is tilled up where it can be nourished by the truth of God's Word, by the grace and the love that He has set forth so that we can grow up into Jesus. And that there's fruit that flows from that relationship. And that we are excited, we are passionate about the fact that we are together, included, accepted, and loved. And we want to go out and see other people become together, included, accepted, and loved in Christ. To be brothers and sisters. Brothers and sisters. Or brethren, if you want that word, which just kind of takes brothers and sisters and puts them together. Not by physical birth, but we're saved out of God's great love. We're united in that same love. We're also motivated as a family by that love. And here's another part. We're known by that same love. In the 1800s, Bishop J.C. Ryle from England wrote this, Membership in the family of God doesn't depend on any earthly connection. It comes not by natural birth, but by a new birth. Ministers can't impart it to the hearers. Parents can't give it to their children. To belong to it, you must be born again. And the family of God is a family because there's one Father that rejoices in one name, the name above every name. And then I love this. They share the family likeness. So when we talk about being together, included, accepted, loved, we're showing the family likeness. We look just a little bit like our Father. In the last verses, and we can't say everything about it, but it's impossible to not say anything, and hopefully we'll come back and visit the subject again. He goes on, and he says, we're not just a household, but we are a holy temple. 
that God is constructing a building in verses 21 and 22. It's made of people, not of bricks. Each one of those individuals is unique and fitted together into a cohesive unit. All of our idiosyncrasies, all of our quirks, all of our differences, all of our likes, all of our dislikes, God is able to magnificently and miraculously weave together into this organism called the church. Jesus being the chief cornerstone, the one who sets the parameters, who holds everything together, the one who brings it to growth. There's foundation stones laid upon those that were revealed by God to the prophets and to the apostles that we have an established truth that we now read about in the pages of this book. And God's people, like living stones, as Peter would say, are being built into a house or a place where God lives through His Spirit. So if you think about it, God loves us, and because of that, Jesus brings salvation. He sent Jesus to be our peace. He unites us into a family. He grows His family along the way, and then He guides His people, or He guides His family as we listen to Him. During the 1930s and early 1940s, a German pastor named Dietrich Bonhoeffer struggled with faith and theology in the midst of a regime that was wicked and evil. In a time when the national church was corrupted and was under the control of the government and he stood for the true church. He wrote a book called The Cost of Discipleship. He wrote another small book called Life Together. And in this book, he says this, We have one another only through Christ. But through Christ, we do have one another wholly for eternity. What's he saying? If you are in Christ, if you're a Christian, then you're a part of the family of God without exception. And in Christ, God reconciles individuals to himself and other Christians to include them into his family. So before we close, I just want to just share with you briefly, and we'll come back to this in the weeks to come in more detail, what does it look like to be a part of a family? There's four C's, so hopefully they'll be easy in the coming weeks for us to remember. Connection. To be in His family means connection. We're connected to Christ and we're connected to one another. Connection. It's not based on our physical birth. It's not based on likes and dislikes. It's simply based on the fact that we are joined together in Christ. So connection, commitment. We are committed to Christ, the truth of His Word, and we are committed to His church, His plan, and we're committed to one another. It also means cooperation. Cooperation with one another, working together to carry out the great commandment to love God, to love others. It's the great commission to go and make disciples of all nations. It takes cooperation. And then fourth, care. Care for each other 
as there is need, care for those outside the walls as we are able. That they may see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven. Years ago, Bill and Gloria Gaither wrote a song that we've sang here called The Family of God. If I start singing it, you probably could join in. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. I've been washed by His blood. Join heirs with Jesus as we gather this time. For I'm part of the family, the family of God. Songwriters find many different ways um, to be inspired or spoken to. And one Saturday afternoon, the little church in Indiana that Bill and Gloria Gaither were part of got word that a young father was involved in a fire and explosion in his garage. and He wasn't expected to live. The whole church rallied around it and began to pray both day and night, both in homes and in the church. It was a little before Easter, and on Easter Sunday, the pastor was able to share with much excitement the man's name was Ron, that Ron outlived the deadline. The doctor said he wouldn't make it, but the doctor now says there's a chance. And, it, and the hearts and the people began to, to leap. And the family of God there continued to rise up in, in prayer. They helped out with the children. They made long trips back and forth to the hospital. They gave blood. They, they gave money. They provided meals for months. All this while the healing process went on. And one Sunday after church, the Gaithers were in their vehicle going home. And today, this would probably have been caught on, you know, on video. They'd have been doing, you know, some kind of Facebook Live or something. But here, they're not. But they just were talking, having conversation. And Bill, very touched by the situation, looked at his wife and said, you know, they do that for us, too. So they got home. Gloria started cooking the meal. And Bill went over to the piano and started hammering out a, a chorus to a song and soon Gloria stopped working on what she was doing and joined him and they wrote those words. They wrote the first verse that we sang together. They wrote two that you maybe are not as familiar with and I'd like to read them. You'll notice we say brother and sister around here. It's because we're family and these folks are so near. When one has a heartache, we all share the tears and rejoice in each victory in this family so dear. I'd heard that verse, but I'd never heard this third verse. From the door of an orphanage to the house of the king, no longer an outcast, a new song I sing. From rags to riches, from the weak to the strong, I'm not worthy to be here, but praise God, I belong. May that be on our hearts. We're not worthy to be here, but praise God we belong. And if you know Jesus today, praise God, you belong. Here among His people, in His family that meets here and that goes literally around the world and that in your family you find brothers and sisters in Christ. Who is your family? If you know Jesus, the brothers and sisters around you. Will you join me as we pray? Father, as we have just maybe scratched the surface of this and just hit highlights of what it means to be brought from far away to near and to be in your family. Lord, we ask for just gentle, sweet reminders of 
unity that we are called to enjoy and can enjoy because of what Jesus did for us. That you did the work. You reconciled us. You brought us together to be in a family. Help us know and understand what it means to be connected to you and to one another, to be committed to you and to one another, to cooperate and to care. And Lord, help us to know that in the weakness that we find their strength and the unworthiness we we see in ourselves and in the thoughts that we don't belong, that in you we belong. That we belong in your family, with your people, in this place. Speak this encouragement to our hearts and use it to motivate us in our love for one another and for the others outside. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. In a few moments after we take opportunity to listen to God, we'll be celebrating the Lord's Supper together. And so as we do listen to God, perhaps you'd want to use this time to prepare your, your hearts. Just ask God to, to search you and say, God, just, just show me what's there. If there's things I, I need to confess, if there's something I need to, to make right with you, let me do it now. If there's a wrong that I've made against a brother or sister, let it not go past this moment that I would come before you clean in your presence and I would celebrate your supper with joy and the freedom of forgiveness. But maybe, you know, it's maybe it's just you're, you're along the way, just you felt detached. You felt unconnected. You felt not valued, not loved, not important. Oh my God, wash over you by His Spirit and show you the truth that you belong and that you have meaning and purpose in Him, in this body for His glory. Maybe you find yourself on the outside looking in and maybe today, you know, for the very first time, you thought, you know, well, I thought, you know, church was just all there was. I thought maybe if I read my Bible, it'd be okay. But you think, well, no, I really don't know for sure that I could say I have a personal relationship with Jesus. You can trust in the Savior today, placing your hope and your life in His hands. You'll never be disappointed. Or maybe you've been looking for a church family for a while and just God's saying, hey, I want you here. I can be the place that you plan. Maybe there's another burden on your heart. Maybe you just need to let that go before the Lord so you can enjoy the freedom to be a part of his fellowship and in his family. Piano is going to play quietly while we listen to God. Trust you'll respond. If you need to speak to someone, I'll be at the front. Or maybe you just grab a brother or sister next to you and say, hey, will you pray with me? But let's listen to God as he speaks and respond as he listens.
home, come home. You who are weary, come home. That's always a wonderful time to celebrate the Lord's Supper um, together. Enjoying together as the family of God gathered here at Cross Timber. And just so you know, just like any great house, if you're family, you're welcome at the table. Um, meaning that if you have made that decision to trust the Lord Jesus as your Savior, then we invite you to participate in this time as we reflect on the sacrifice of Christ, the unity of the body that we enjoy, that while we're different, we're all important. And He has brought us together by His blood. You know, when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we take time to share the cup and the bread and we share it together because we are united in Christ. Now, we're more modern here, but if we were to go back to another time, we really would share the bread and we would share the cup, and some churches still do that. But today we'll share from a tray as we share what God gave very clear instructions, the Lord Jesus, to Paul for us and for the Corinthians to celebrate. And in fact, in verse 23 of 1 Corinthians 11, he says, I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Gentlemen, we pass the bread.
Jesus, we thank you for your body that was broken so that we could be whole for the life that you gave so that we could live in you. We give you thanks. And we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Jesus said to his disciples, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of we continue reading in 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 25, he tells us that in the same way also, Jesus took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Gentlemen, we pass Thank you, Father, for your Son, Jesus. And thank you, Lord, for your blood that was spilled, the blood that makes healing, the blood that cleanses, and the blood that brings life. We give you the thanks, and in your name we pray. Amen. Jesus said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. finishes out the passage by saying, as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so we both remember the sacrifice 
We remember the glory of the resurrection, but we also anticipate that wonderful day when he comes again. Praise the Lord. It's been a pleasure to to worship together this morning, to join our, our hearts and our voices together in song and in praise to the Lord Jesus to celebrate the Lord's Supper and to enjoy just in part for a brief moment what it means to be a family of God gathered together. I want to invite the worship team to come up. They're going to close in a song. And while um, they're making their way forward, let me just remind you um, of a couple of things before Deborah comes. And yeah. Oh, never mind. Let me just remind you of two things very quickly. First of all, we are still collecting um, the offering for um, Mary Hill Davis. Good news report, we're about three quarters of the way there. We're a little over almost to $1,500. Um, it's still not too late for you to contribute. And we're well on our way to our goal. And remember, all of that money goes for mission work here inside um, the state of Texas. Second thing, men, we still have um, about seven tickets available for the, the fish fry at Riverbend. So if you were interested, um, you can see me or let the church office know, and we'll make sure we get a, a ticket your direction. Last thing, um, when we finish singing, you'll be dismissed, and you'll find that our, our gentlemen are standing at the doors. It's traditional here that when we do... Um, celebrate the Lord's Supper that we collect an offering, and the offering that we do collect goes toward our, our benevolence ministry. And so if you do have something you want to contribute, they'll be there at the back. But again, there's no obligation. I want to thank you for, for worshiping with us today. I want to invite you to stand together with us to join in our voices as we sing and we conclude our service. Lord bless you. What a friend we are.